also say a toe to so. You know what? A toe to so. A fucking a toe to so. Hello and welcome back to this episode of The Bottleman. It is once again, as ever, myself, Riley Quinn, and I am joined uh, ably by Dan Beckner. Dan, Hello. how's it going? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, marched in the uh, May Day Parade yesterday. My feet are a little sore, but I'm feeling good. Very good. Uh, and we are very lucky, the two of us, to be joined today by, uh, you know him from uh, Twitter, uh, you may know him from uh, your real life, uh, perhaps both. It is uh, Rylan uh, Neon Wario. Rylan, how's it going? Hey, not too bad. Beautiful day here in uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Not that I know because I'm inside mostly studying for exams, but that's life. Indeed. So uh, what we're, what we're, what we're going to do today is, uh, first of all, uh, give uh, this new segment on the show that seems to be a, a theme for when we record on Sundays, uh, My Tummy Hurts Again. Yes. <laughs> I had I, a bad day of stomach aches. Why? So I, I need to ask, why, Riley, why does your tummy hurt? What happened? Who's, who's, hurting, who's hurting you? <laughs> who's punching them? Who is punching my tummy? Um, no, I drank like seven light beers yesterday, uh, and now my tummy hurts. <laughs> so it's, 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 it's all new. This is a new phenomenon. Uh, where I drink a lot of light, it used to be, it, it, I drink a lot of light beer, I enjoy a crisp, refreshing light beer, and then I feel great. And now I enjoy like six or seven crisp, refreshing light beers and my tummy hurts the next day. And I think there must be something going on. There's got to be a correlation between that. I've I've cut out um, hard booze and wine and replaced it with uh, delicious beers and ciders. And, uh, you know, you can't just... You can't just go for sheer volume with that stuff and not expect a tummy ache. Yeah. Oh, God. I'm in, t- I'm in, t- I'm in tummy ache town, boys. <laughs> one, um, one really good thing is sometimes I'll have one beer and then have to immediately go to bed and wake up with a hangover. And that's, that's, pretty <laughs> that's good. super cool. That's a good move. <laughs> <laughs> Girls love it when you do that. That's right. <laughs> they think it's the sexiest thing. Honey, can when we- a guy has half a beer and then says he's really sweepy and yeah. then wakes up the next day and says his tummy hurts. I love to go out and have half a beer and then text my partner, so sweepy, need to go home. <laughs> Sad face emoji. <laughs> oh, I'm on the toilet and my leg fell asleep. Can you come get me? Like going to bed at 6 p.m. is pretty much every woman's turn on, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If, uh, <laughs> girls love a guy who respects his bedtime. I like to go to bed at 6 p.m., but then get up every 20 minutes to pee. <laughs> well, no, you get up every 20 minutes to sit down to pee for like an hour, but you do 30 seconds of peeing and then 59 minutes and 30 seconds of playing a, cling, uh, a snowboard game on your phone. A little and your leg falls asleep and no one will help you. <laughs> oh! <laughs> the pain of my life! <laughs> <laughs> Dying. Oh, why is this happening to me? <laughs> uh, most per- persecuted man alive, I think. Actually, we're going to talk about the most persecuted man alive. Uh, what, Jamie Sweaty? No. Uh, <laughs> we're we're going to we're going to talk about a uh, East Coast business oaf who became the most persecuted man on the internet. 
Indeed, it is. It is Cortland Cronk, uh, a man I knew, a man of whose existence I was unfamiliar until very recently, and now I just walk around saying Cortland Cronk to people. I like to say it to my girlfriend. I sometimes text her the name Cortland Cronk. Uh, we're talking about getting a dog. You'll never guess what I suggested we name it. <laughs> Little Cronk. Yeah, Little Cronky. Uh, so. Sorry, yeah, to, Dan, sorry to Riley. interrupt. I was going to guess uh, Cortland Cronk would be the name. Uh, yeah, yes, correct. that's right. The gift card goes to Ryland. <laughs> um, no, so uh, look, Dan, do you want to take it? Dan and Ryland, in fact, do you want to take us away on this um, this this little Cronk explainer? This uh, Cronk, yeah. this Cronk to see. I for for those of you who are unfamiliar with uh, Cortland Cronk, I've 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 put together a Cronk explainer. Uh, Ryland, feel free to jump in at any point and. Cronk uh, explain further, but uh, so Cortland Cronk is an oaf. Um, we love to talk about oafs on this show. Mm. Um, Cort- oaf country, oaf, Canada. Oaf country, Canada. Uh, we love we love making big boys here. Um, but Cortland Cronk is an oaf of uh, Atlantic Canadian extraction, who became a meme last year for uh, piercing the famed Atlantic Canada uh, quarantine bubble. Well, co- uh, well, he was COVID positive. So it's unclear what the nature of the quote-unquote business trip that necessitated Kronk flying from Calgary to St. John's was. Uh, his business at the time seemed to be repackaging and reselling weed accessories like uh, fertilizer and what have you. Um, but what we do know is that he registered himself as an essential worker um, because he, and this is in his words, quote, offered software support to auto dealers. Without the software, he explained, repairs could not be performed on the vehicles of first responders. Oh, that's a, I mean, that's a bit of a stretch of an essential worker definition is tech support for tech support for like the CRM for like, I don't know, like like Bob Hoskins, uh, Ford and Chevrolet outside of like Brampton. Like that doesn't make any sense. Well, you know, the, the health authorities bought it. So uh, after after arriving in St. John's, Kronk uh, got the sniffles, but blamed it on the time change. And um, uh-huh. in true oafish fashion, he recorded a video of himself smoking weed where he could be heard hacking and coughing and then exclaiming, I can't taste a thing. <laughs> <laughs> but pl- please, well, I can't taste my mids, my mids. <laughs> The sweet, the sweet notes of uh, of uh, subtle earth in my in my delicious mids. Uh, look, I, I I am a connoisseur of both seed and stem, and I taste neither. Send it back. He I later taste the terpenes. Exactly. He later said he was joking. Apparently, he was like, "I was just joking. This is a bit that I did." <laughs> Damn, I got coronavirus. Just kidding, though. Anyway, I should be alone right now. So. He, Any ladies in the Halifax area want to want to help a sad man? He so he goes to He's get no tested. Don't put him on us. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he goes to get tested, and of course, he tests positive. Uh, and then he claims that the Department of Health told him to keep this diagnosis to himself—a claim which they completely refute. So, in a, in a, in a statement, CBC News was told by public health that uh, public health quote does not advise cases not to tell anyone if they are COVID positive, but rather, quote, assures the individual around confidentiality of their personal health information. So, so I have a question. Yeah. Uh, first of all, 
do you think that in his head, the story he told himself was that he has like a classified form of research COVID that they give to guys in the army <laughs> or guys who like qualify technically to be in the army? This is the COVID that, that he couldn't tell you, anyone. This is the COVID that gives you powers. <laughs> oh shit! I thought I thought you said I thought you said I had to keep it secret so that um uh, so that then I can join the Canadian Green Berets. <laughs> I, I got the spec up strain. I think. Yeah, I don't want to brag or anything, but I am part of Canadian Delta Force, and I do have MK COVID. Um, <laughs> Yo, I'm a Canadian. I got COVID. Now I'm a Canadian SEAL. What's up? Uh, but is is this the is this the is this guy is this guy this type of guy is he this type of delusional where he'll be like, yeah, I got the secret COVID for the army, or is he a different type of delusional? I think personally, like just looking into Kronk, he's a different type of delusional. He is really a great example of this like success mindset guy where you gas yourself up and you're not really doing anything or if you are doing something it might be something that's like negative like like mm-hmm. scammy you know but uh but if you keep telling yourself you're an entrepreneur and keep spending your parents money then then somehow you are quote unquote working hard mm. and this is a classic kind of of east coast i mean this is a, a classic kind of simpleton there's a real manifestation of it out in Atlantic Canada, right, Ryland? Yeah. So as an East Coast simpleton myself, uh, I, I, well, so I don't know anything about Kronk all that, all that much. But I remember when the story came out, I was really laughing because, um, yeah, I, you know, I've been outside of Nova Scotia for about five years now. And it's just like, oh, man, he reminds me of a type of guy that I have not thought about since, since I left, basically. There's definitely a special sort of uh, East Coast Canadian business guy. Um, one one kind of funny fact about the East Coast business landscape is that it's basically it seems like the economy is like mostly driven by how many friends your dad has, um, helping you get a nice. job in different places. So yeah, like that, the like the Nor- Nor- Norman Conquest England, basically feudal. I'm a hundred percent sure that that's a perfect analogy. I uh, I didn't bone up on my history before this one, but um, so it's 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 basically a dad's friends based economy. <laughs> where you're sort of you're sort of do, just ru- everyone's kind of running confidence tricks on one another and most of the actual production seems to come from like landlordism yeah and the dads yeah yeah okay so yeah it's the, a landlord. the have like wealth management practices and, and things like that everyone's okay. dad you know i think yeah. it's an environment too that um allows you to believe like it just completely detaches you from reality like you know, Kronk's response to all this was he said that the entire experience taught him uh, who his true friends were. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not Public Health Canada. <laughs> exactly. Um, he said, uh, after I got it, people just went haywire. They said it was my fault. It was. It was your fault, Courtland. Um, <laughs> I, shouldn't, I shouldn't have been traveling. I shouldn't have been working. I shouldn't have been making money. I should have been isolating. I should have self-isolated. Etc. 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 End quote. I think I, like I didn't actually do a count, but like half of those are true, like just factually. Yeah, Probably yeah, should have self isolated. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, the, the whole the whole thing of just like yeah, your uh, f- fake friend, fake friends will tell you to self isolate when you have COVID. Real friends will come get that COVID from you. Yeah. Real friends will share your COVID. Exactly. So. So basically what happened was the entire Canadian internet just started piling on him, um, and rightly so. Uh, and he claims that was 
that was sort of the catalyst for him fleeing Atlantic Canada and going to the other place in Canada that's filled with this type of guy, uh, which is Victoria, British Columbia. I thought you were going to say Alberta and that you were specifically referring to Atlantic Canadians, but (laughs) no, no, Victoria, Victoria is, uh, kind of, is kind of plagued with the same success mindset guys. But, um, but then a weird thing, uh, I can't do the Adam Curtis voice, but just imagine it. Every, everyone at home, imagine Dan did the Adam Curtis voice and maybe put on some like burial or something, uh, in the background. Yeah. Maybe, uh, something off another green world. But then the strangest thing happened. Um, so after, after the pile on, there was a wave of what I can only describe as uh, crunk washing. <laughs> so these are, the, these are articles painting crunk as uh, a victim of an online mob. Uh, you know, crunk is innocent. What does this say about... Some are s- calling crunk a modern Dreyfus. Exactly. <laughs> What does this say about society? What is the pandemic doing to Canadians that we, you know, the psychotic online mob would be baying for this oaf's blood in the digital town square? Um, <laughs> so, like, the first high-profile case of uh, historical crunk visionism came from Catherine Porter, uh, Toronto bureau chief for the New York Times. Um, she's been questioned frequently about her reporting on Canada. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, she cool. she wrote an article uh, questioning the abuse that Kronk had faced. Um, and here's a quote from Kronk. They were acting like I purposely got COVID, Mr. Kronk said from his new apartment. I had hundreds of death threats a day, people telling me I should be publicly stoned. Uh-huh. He was getting oh publicly just, stoned in that yeah. Instagram hey. video where he uh, claimed he couldn't taste anything. Oh, my God. I just read the next paragraph ahead and... Uh, what I said, he was a modern day Dreyfus. That was a joke. Yeah, do you want to read? Then- do you want to read that, Riley? I'd, I'd like you to. I'd like you to read uh, what Porter uh, Porter wonders uh, was wondering what this might be doing to the fabric of Canada. During the plague in Europe, Jewish people became convenient scapegoats. <laughs> so are we? Suge- are we worried that there might be some kind of Kronk pogrom? Yeah. Um. During the cholera epidemic in Britain in the 19th century, working-class Irish people were blamed. And more recently, gay men and Haitians were stigmatized during the AIDS epidemic in the United States. So are we su- is she suggesting that, like, like oafs are going to be the next, like, um, broad, broad like, pe- like, scapegoated subaltern population that is sort of, you know, piled, or the blame for sort of all of society's ills is piled onto our like inspirational business quote dumbasses with like failing cannabis corporations protocols of the elders of oafdom you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah the the, the protocols themselves are just different bumper stickers exactly so yeah she goes on she says uh canadians might be known internationally as nice apologetic and fair-minded but a year after the pandemic arrived some canadians worry that it has exposed a very different national persona judgmental suspicious and vengeful look i'm all in support of 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 idiots going out and doing doing idiot stuff i think it's important it forms a great a very large part of canadian culture and i think a larger part than most people realize but 
uh, at the same time, trying to paint idiots as like a as this subaltern per- persecuted class, <laughs> persecuted class of oafs. Well, I have I have a historical counter to this, which is that it has always been this way. You know, there's there's always. <laughs> There's always some simple Gunther or Johan getting pelted with garbage because he spoiled an entire season's worth of preserved vegetables by taking tiny bites from each one and then putting them back in the pickle barrel, you know, like some large dull Olaf who destroys an entire village because his head is stuck in a beehive and he runs around windmilling his ham sized fist shouting, "Ooh, oh, (laughs) that's right. Uh, his Cortland Cronk is is just the modern day version of that, and it's sad that we can't see it. Just just hold on here. Is that true? The the thing about oves in like beehives and taking a tiny bite out of every vegetable. Well, ah, probably. Yeah, you know. I guess how history. I okay, guess. you know how oves are. I do. Yeah. You know what they're like. Oves are not a recent invention. They've been with us forever. <laughs> yeah. They they love to let all of the pigs out of the barn and then chase them towards the horizon. You know, trying to catch the sun in their arms. Um, so yeah, that's that's pretty much Kronk. Like, uh, it, it was bizarre to watch this news cycle go from, um, you know, sort of, uh, like I what I feel is uh, righteous anger at an idiot to, um, you know, finger wagging at people for being mean on the internet. Hmm. I mean, that's that's. I mean, look, you, you the Canadian media ecosystem is. In terms of its ability to perfect this cycle of um, of of making the event, making the making the story about the event, a story about people's reactions to the event, right? Like the British news, the British news media is amazing at this. Uh, Every single, like I always say, every single like Spectator or Telegraph article gets commissioned twice. Once for the article, and then a second time to whine about how people were mean about the article. Oh my god! So it 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 took. The fact is, you, Canada needed to bring in a ringer in the form of Catherine Porter <laughs> in order to even get this news cycle going. And this is because I think we don't have moronic news cycle news cycle tropes of our own. I think we need to develop more of them. Yes, agree. Um, indeed. No, so, but um, I think that. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, um, Kronk's you know, Kronk is a representative of, of this, you know, kind of Atlantic like business oaf. Uh, his story is relatively benign, I think, compared to what we're about to talk about. <laughs> That's right. Um, because the thing is, right, you know, uh, Ryland, you you being a, a bit of a, a bit of a, a, a bit of a numbers guy. Uh, we um we're gonna do a little a little economy talk today. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, well, welcome to welcome to the uh, economy bit. Um, <laughs> because I've been curious about this thing for a while, right? This phenomenon, and it's deeply connected to um to the the land because the number one oaf profession is landlord. Like mm-hmm. that's the main job that oafs have. Passive income, um, baby. Yep. Uh, you can't fuck it up, and and your customer has no rights. You are, you are, you are, you can be as bad at it as you want to be, and you can still make tons of money. Classic oaf job. Um, and I, we've been looking at the what rents have been doing in Canada, like not just in like British Columbia, like like uh, Vancouver, um, Toronto, and these sort of other traditional high cost cities, but like St. Catharines and Win and like Windsor 
uh, <laughs> Nanaimo, like places that should not have high rents, if only because like they're not proximate to like places where you can go, uh, where you need to live to earn like like high like high salary white collar jobs and stuff. Their rents and property values have essentially been exploding uh, for the last several years, and no one seems to be able to or want to do anything about it. Yeah, which is totally decoupled from reality, material reality. Yes, absolutely. Like we before recording, like we looked at the uh, uh, we looked at the average because if if you, if you're a, if you don't if you're in Canada and you don't know St. Catharines. Uh, St. Catharines is uh, a city that is um, not very nice. Uh, what could I you went compare to it to uh, for our American listeners? Like, like it's like a smaller Akron, Ohio, almost, but without yeah, like, yeah. the history of industry. Um, yeah, I'd say. Well, I'd say it's like a, one of the sh- sort of satellite towns of Chicago. Yeah. You know? But yeah, I think I think like some town in northern Ohio sort of makes sense as what Toronto is. Yeah, a suburb um, of uh, Toronto. Uh, sorry, uh, Cleveland. Uh, you know. Yeah, yeah. St. Catharines is based. Yeah, it, I, I'll be willing to go so far as this: Canadian Cleveland. Right, um, there you go. And it is the rents. Uh, rents have been rising in St. Catharines like five percent faster than in the rest of the country for reasons of uh, basically almost no reason. Slight proximate proximity to the GTA, but all of it's going up everywhere. Um, so. Uh, and, and and there is just this long-standing property crisis that has gripped more or less the entire country since more or less 2000, 2000 2010, depending on where you are, Vancouver, like Vancouver for obviously longer. Uh, but now there's nowhere that isn't gripped by a property crisis, right? Um, so before I go into this, I just want to say, like, um, uh, like Ryland, do you have any like, what what is your experience of the of the sort of long-standing property crisis being? Oh no! Uh, so let me let me preface this by saying I don't know anything really about all that much. Um, I I have a uh, a business degree from the number one school in Canada. If you go by alphabetical order, um, but any other <laughs> nice. order, it's so- somewhere else. Um, and I remember taking an economics class in uh, in fourth year uh, b- before I kind of decided to switch fields of study. And I remember a guy saying, uh, it's just supply and demand. And he had a really deep voice. Like, deep, I can't really do it that deep. Um, do you want me to he try? He would say that all the time. Yeah, please. I insist. It's, it's just supply and demand. Perfect. Yeah. No, that's great. Yeah. Um, uh, what was it like being taught by Anton Chigurh? <laughs> <laughs> Nerve wracking. Um, and all, the, all this is to say that I, I remember laughing at that at the time, just being like, oh, that's just such a generic answer. And then... Someone puts me on the spot here in 2021, and the only thing I can think to say is well, it's just supply and demand. Um, yeah. And so, with that in mind, uh, yeah, I, I think St. Catherine's rent should be high because you do have that go train that goes uh, every once a week. I think to uh, to Toronto, <laughs> so you can go to your week. You, you can go to your one day a week job and <laughs> sleep under the Don Valley Parkway, yeah. <laughs> and then go back home. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But in, and but they're even they're also up in uh, Montreal as well, which historically they haven't been high in. Yeah, there's a yeah. beer rail that takes you to Toronto. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, yeah Montreal. Same with I Windsor. Mean, I know you're going to Windsor next. That's also got a beer yeah. rail. Montreal, yeah. just as an aside, is facing like a once in a generation um, housing bubble that has caused. It's gonna be the main plank of like the next 
uh, mayoral election. Mm. That's how bad it is. Like, um, you know, one of the one of the tactics landlords are using. So thirty thousand people left the city uh, last year in twenty twenty, and yet rents are going up. You know, twenty five percent, thirty percent. Very odd. Doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Uh, <laughs> landlords are kind of competing with each other on places like Kijiji, and uh, you know anywhere you might be looking to find like Alouette, like stuff for rent. And there's been a lot of uh, there's been a lot of cases of landlords like just getting into bidding wars with each other. So if they have 200 people applying to view an apartment, they will just like say, okay, now the apartment's 1,350, not 1,200, mm-hmm. which is somehow it's legal. Awful. So <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I was told that the competition is kind of starting to make uh, Mile End look more like Westmount than it did like uh, the Old Port. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's weird because I live in Utremont, which is a historically like fancy neighborhood, but the rents have been for the last couple of years they've been going down because of the bidding war in Mile End. So. Oh really? Oh sorry, I, I was just trying to say something stupid, but that's yeah. Yeah. if it was right, <laughs> right. Accident, no, you're actually sure. right. <laughs> you are accidentally correct. Yeah. <laughs> it was bound to happen. <laughs> yeah, if you want to pay over market value for like a shitty apartment, um close to some Italian restaurants that's uh, property managed by a guy who inherited it from his dad um, and hates you, then, yeah, move to Mile End. You know I love yeah. the dad economy. I just said I was Atlantic Canadian. So. Oh, yeah. We are, we are deep in the dad economy here. I support uh, people's like, sons big time. Oh, yeah. Um, also, uh, uh, invest in my new hedge fund uh, right by accident. <laughs> uh, <laughs> random Walk Partners present right by accident. Um, so there are a few stories here, right, um, where one of the things that Atlantic Canada has done to combat this crisis, and one of the things I've done here is I've put together kind of a little story of how we got to where we are and why we're in this place. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, uh, in Atlantic Canada, and in, in, in Halifax specifically, there's actually been uh, a rent control ordinance that's been put in place since last November, where um, prices can only rise by 2%. And I would like you, uh, gentlemen, to please prepare your small violins. Because uh, <laughs> Paul Finnamore, who owns 17 rental units in Kentville and Middleton, said um, uh, his, his business, which involves uh, buying and renovating houses and then increasing the rent on them, uh, is no longer viable because uh, the 2% uh, that he is allowed to increase it by per year does not cover uh, the annual value of inflation. Uh, so his business as a landlord is no longer viable, uh, and he can fuck off. Yes, <laughs> well, he's lucky no. he's not subject to land reform. Let's let's look at the other side of this here. I think like having backsplash on your counter in the kitchen is a pretty valuable thing. So let's keep that in mind. Let's try to be fair. That's what I'm saying. That's right, and and that's worth uh, a rent on a unit going up from like six hundred dollars to sixteen hundred dollars, especially in Kentville. Uh, yeah. Oh, Which, uh, just for for it, it, I I don't know if uh, there's any listeners you guys have that don't have an intimate no, uh, knowledge of Nova Scotia geography, but Kentville is about, about a little over an hour outside of Halifax. Uh, there's mm-hmm. not not let's say not a lot around there. I believe there's a hospital. Yeah. Well, I've 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 heard many people say that uh, Kentville uh, is making Halifax look like uh, Kensington and Chelsea. That's right. You I I. I could see that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, um, anyway, right. 
this is this is what sort of this is what has been happening in uh, some cities in Atlantic, or at least, at least one city in Atlantic Canada. There's been action taken using politics uh, to uh, basically fight this um, uh, massive sort of like housing crisis, at least for renters, and um, you know to at the direct expense of landlords. Now, this uh, rent cap, I believe, is not permanent. Uh, it I mean, it probably ought to be, but that's probably too much to ask from the current government. However, uh, Nanaimo has taken a decidedly different approach. Yes. If you want to see the future of an unregulated housing market and its effects on a uh, shitty medium-sized town, um, you can look no further than Nanaimo, British Columbia. Uh so a place I grew up near and unfortunately had to live in on and off for the last six years to make Wolf Parade records. Uh, mm. Some of my uh, some of my Nanaimo stays included moldy basement suites that were renting for. Uh, so these were Airbnb properties. But, uh, you know, if I were to rent them on a monthly basis, not as an Airbnb, they would be about twelve hundred dollars Canadian. So. Okay. To live in Nanaimo, uh, which is a town of about, mm-hmm. I don't know, it's a it's a small city. Let's say that, mm-hmm. very yeah. small. As many are calling it the St. Catharines of British Columbia. Yeah. So yeah, so what you ha- what you have in Nanaimo is you have you have this uh, insane speculative uh, real estate market where, like, just for example, four hundred and forty five million in development uh, real estate development was approved in two thousand nineteen by the city of Nanaimo. That's that's a lot of money. You know, um, and basically what's happened is because uh, resource extraction communities have sort of died up, died out in the North Island uh, and and along with those communities dying out, the, the services that they provide to people have disappeared. You have a massive influx of people coming from the north down to Nanaimo where they cannot afford to rent anything and they can't get a job because there fucking are no jobs in Nanaimo. Uh so what you get is a tent city. Um, to- yeah, I was I was told that if there were no jobs in Nanaimo, that there would be less competition for rental apartments, and that would push prices down. Not so. I'm pr- I'm pretty sure that I'm I'm pretty sure that that's how that works, and I'm very surprised to see that that's not happening. Uh, Someone should call the Christian Freeland. I'm just gonna try and double check if there happens to be a, like let's say any large public transit that takes you to a larger urban area. In which case, it's fully justified. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just, that, you should, you can, no, uh, there is an airport near Nanaimo. You can catch a flight to Toronto. Okay, there you go. The, yeah, that's so, true. Yeah. There, there <laughs> is. Uh, well, there's BC ferries that um, you can pay almost a hundred dollars to drive your car on, and then uh, get dumped out in the South Delta. So you uh-huh. can you can do that. But okay, well, there that explains the price. Yeah. There we go. Nothing yeah. weird here. Yeah, it's just I a plan to man. What have I been saying? I love to co- I love to commute to Vancouver via Helijet for my bullshit job. Um, so so what happened was, was it just like an insane tent city uh, sprung up in Nanaimo. And because the city is run by baby boomers, everybody started uh, going full reactionary. The tent city was eventually busted up. Um, the city promised to build uh, government housing, essentially, mm-hmm. which has yet to materialize. Their answer to the large floating homeless population recently has been Mayor Leonard Krog, who was uh, 
previously an N, uh, BC NDP MLA. He just approved $400,000 in what he calls security improvements for downtown. Uh huh. So that sounds like a polite way of putting secu- it. Yeah. <laughs> is, are, are the security improvements like, say, uh, better security for the tent city? No, the security improvements are um, stuff like putting up a massive fence around a tiny park in front of a shopping mall that people were trying to sleep in. Uh huh. Yeah, well, you got to, you know, you got to protect the grass. Yeah. yeah. You know? And you know, people want to go to that mall because they want to walk around and make a video about dead malls. Exactly, it's very <laughs> important. So, I mean, I guess, I guess the the long and the short of the Nimo is that when when you have a city where you you can't get a job that's not construction, like building these new houses for uh, people who aren't necessarily uh, investing any money into the economy or or the social structure. So you can't you can't get a job outside of that, or the other big job there is healthcare because the reactionary population is getting very very old. Uh, they are uh, they are getting old and sick. So so the two big employers are the construction industry and the healthcare uh, industry. VHA is what it's called. You've got like this is a boomerocracy. You know? And I mean, what's I mean? Look, if, if you want to look at what. What, what, what housing essentially is in Nanaimo is a lot of stuff is built and then not occupied uh, because the housing has beca- be- become uh, essentially a uh, fun little gambling token uh, that only incidentally can protect you from like, you know, food and uh, for, can protect you from the elements you can keep food in and so on. Yes. Like, that's all incidental. It's mostly there for gambling. Um, and the thing is, this, uh, this leads me to a topic, like I said, I've been wanting to talk about for a while which is the Canadian housing market and how it got to be like it is now. Because there is this really... On the very first episode of this podcast, the very first one, uh, we mentioned that uh, nothing is more annoying than Canadian exceptionalism because mostly it's not true. It's very, very annoying. Um, where there's, the, there's, this, there's this story that sort of, I think, floats around sort of the... Um, I don't know, maybe the less... Um, less critical uh like financial uh publications and stuff saying that canada or this is this there is this story that says canada basically avoided uh the 2007 market crash in housing because of its uniquely prudent and well-capitalized banks that are stable and boring and they do a good job of providing a basic service and they don't muck around with synthetic cdos or whatever and just like all stories of canadian exceptionalism it's bullshit it's complete and utter horseshit. It's wrong. It's so wrong. Um, where like the end, what the and while I was putting this together, the best comparator I discuss. I mean, there have been some great comparators on this episode so far. Some really top comparisons. Um, but the the best the the <laughs> the, the actual good comparison here, I think, is that Canada Canada's housing market says, what if. Uh, what if we just continued with the housing market the U.S. had in 2006 forever? <laughs> and what if it just was like that permanently? Nothing but blue skies. <laughs> <laughs> We're all wearing our happy faces uh, because the value of my house is going up. The value of every other house is going up. In fact, the value of, of our houses have increased uh, about three times uh, in the, uh, over the last 20 years. But gone up by about yeah, several hundred percent. 
um, more in some areas, but the average home value, the median home value, is, median home value has has gone up by about 167 percent, crazy, um, since 2000, and that's like way more than any other sort of developed uh, economy. It's like it's a different category, and people have been shorting the Canadian housing market since 2011. Like the guys who shorted the American housing market in 2006 also shorted the Canadian housing market in 2011 and got their asses beat out. <laughs> they, they got completely blown out. Um, and that's because we, it, we did all of this like rampant casino style speculating. Or not we did, but sort of the, the financial class did. And then um, essentially just the, bail, the bailout that we had. And we did have one was extremely quiet and under the table. Um, and not, not, I, think, I think a lot of people actually don't know this, but that's, that's what happened. So I'm going to go into this, right? So basically, there was this, this rumor that we were somehow more prudent uh, or that our, our, our natural sort of like polite nature or whatever um, sort of stopped us from taking this kinds of risks that America took. It's incorrect, wrong, doesn't, bear, doesn't get borne out by the facts. And what's happened now is that um, essentially uh, Canada, Canada is so addicted to real estate uh, as a form of like, uh, as a form of wealth that uh, we are twice as dependent, like the overall economy is twice as dependent on real estate as the US was before, two th- before 2008. So like as important as real estate was to the American economy in 2008, it's doubly so for the Canadian economy now in terms of like percentage of overall output. Um, and residential, and, and that is uh, 9%. 9% of Canada's economy is just house prices. Uh, what could go wrong? <laughs> yeah, it's perfect. Just this commodity that you sort of absolutely need uh, that you, um, you know, again, you probably like die if you don't have or your life becomes pretty un- hard to live if you don't have. Um, that can just like basically burden you with uh you know enormous uh, either debt or just rent burdens uh yeah that's nine percent of the economy is basically just uh <laughs> pure rent seeking <sighs> which is great um now again like i'll just say uh i'll throw to you for a sec here uh ryland like you work sort of in and around the sort of canadian financial industry right i believe we can say that's correct yeah so is there do you ever see like this this attitude among among sort of or you hear of this attitude much where it's like oh well Canada's just got a very boring but functional financial system and not, that's why nothing really ever went wrong with us this sort of smugness oh all the time yeah especially I mean especially when you compare with kind of the banks that let's say okay so the, you know I'll be straight here the financial crisis happened I'm gonna say in 2008 uh, mm-hmm. I was maybe 13 or 14 and so I was still uh, quoting Step Brothers when that when it actually went down, but um, you know you hear about the big like risk tank risk taking banks like Lehman and everyone's like oh you know CIBC Capital Markets would never do that <laughs> and it's like okay well let's, yeah we'll see <laughs> yeah well we we will in fact see because uh, <laughs> we do we are going to see sort of how this ended up working um, a, a few more numbers up front by the way uh, the ten. 10.8% uh, raise in house prices between this March and last March. Um, and that's like, that's not according yeah, to just like thought, a real estate. Well, yeah. hold on. I thought, um, yeah. I thought the economy contracted because uh, business was shut down for a year. How, how can this be? 
Well, housing selfishly stepped in to uh, save us, which is uh, I'm going to spoil what I have towards the end of this segment. Kind of what uh, the governor of the Bank of Canada said. Thank goodness for high house prices. They saved the economy. We need the growth. (laughs) Yes. Yes. There's going to be something kind of funny. Like, I know a lot of people who moved from moved or are planning to move based on the the pandemic from like, let's say, GTA to uh, Nova Scotia. And I think it's going to be a real good situation there in a few years when you've got like a whole bunch of people accustomed to, let's say, a, a, a pretty good, you know, lifestyle. Uh, not really any jobs in the region. Uh, lots of demand on the housing market. Not a ton of supply. Not too much. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's... Yeah. You're gonna, uh, we'll see how it shakes you're out. You're going to see... It'll be like a turbo version of what happened to Vancouver Island where, you know, basically uh, Vancouver became untenable for people and they were like oh well we can just move here and work remotely and put literally nothing back into the local economy and then get mad that there's a bunch of homeless people who were very scary when we go uh when we you know we do we take our once a week trip to go buy groceries or whatever yeah that would to go to the uh vape shop and the vitamin b12 injection stand at the mall hey you can actually get b12 from, from monster energy drink so. I yeah. have definitely gone to the vape shop at Port Place Mall a couple of times. So. <laughs> Feeling personally attacked here. Mm-hmm. And, and, so, and the, one of the main problems also is that it's turned, it's turned Nanaimo into what some experts have called a soda desert, where you won't be able to access any soda. <laughs> You'll be very thirsty all the time, and you won't hydrate yourself with water because it's nasty. I've been, I've been looking at a map of Nanaimo uh, while, while we were talking here. You know, it, it, it does look pretty good. Like, you got an A&W right downtown. That yeah. looks pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, and, and the airport in Vancouver, which takes you to Toronto, is just a ferry ride away. So it's fine, yeah. It's basically, it's basically a suburb. Yeah. Uh, so, hey, are you guys trying to do uh, a, a sales pitch? or? <laughs> <laughs> look, so the bottleman is brought to you by, Nan- by Nanaimo Real Estate Board. <laughs> exactly. oh, we've got the homeless under control, and we have a vape shop and an A&W. There's high security, uh, there's an A&W. Yeah. I don't really know what else you can need. Yeah. You're Seven gonna... easy hours to the GTA. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> um, so there are... Uh, basically, and also, like, housing starts... Um, are massively uh, accelerating, like 21.6% increase in March compared to the previous month. So like uh, there are uh, tons of houses are being built, but pr- the prices, nothing is making the prices go down, especially because uh, lumber is now the world's most expensive thing for some reason. Um, and, but the thing is, right? Uh, I have been a, like a this joke for about a- whether or not lumber grows on trees. Am I allowed to yes. say it or not? Uh, yes, you can, you can say it, but uh, please, nothing blue. Okay, I was just going to say uh, that it's not like it, uh, it grows on trees or anything. So, <laughs> <laughs> so the, and I, I, I'm interested to sort of understand why this happened, right? And why it sort of, how it sort of feeds into that fucking annoying sense of Canadian exceptionalism. Um, and it sort of goes back to a, uh, a rule change at the CMHC, the Canadian uh, Housing and Mortgage Corporation, a crown corporation sort of controlled and funded by the government. Um, or created by the government to provide mortgage, well, to provide many things, uh, initially to provide, um, uh, to bi- supply housing uh, for returning soldiers. Um, you know, the usual story of sort of, you know, um, post-World War II development and all this. Um, and in fact, they built the entire city of Ajax. Uh, so, Beautiful if you Ajax, live in Ajax, Ontario. Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> if, you, if you live in Ajax, Ontario, uh, built for returning soldiers, um, 
And, uh, it's on you, the go train, right? Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think it's probably on the go train. Okay, that, that feeds into my next point. We'll keep going. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, what happened was there was a rule change uh, at the CMHC uh, that was implemented in 1993 by Martin Brian Mulrooney. Uh, and what the rule change essentially was, was that the CMHC is no longer to provide housing uh, of any kind. Um, uh, the okay. CMHC the can- is simply to be... It's a okay. The Canadian Mortgage and Housing Corporation will not be providing housing. They have to change it no. to the Canadian Mortgage or Housing Corporation. I heard. Effect. I mean, effectively, yes. That sort of is kind of what happened, um, where they they basically just provided mortgage insurance. So uh, they will insure. Th- basically, they will if the if a buyer has less than twenty percent of a of a down payment, then the CMHC for a fee to the bank. Uh, will ensure the value of the mortgage, 100% of it. And they more or less have to do that. And the CMHC more or less has to provide it, um, so long as certain quite loose criteria are met. Which means that if you're a, a Canadian uh, lender uh, lending uh, a, 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 a home buyer, prospective home buyer money uh, for a mortgage, carries zero risk at all. Nothing. Zero. No risk at all. Um, and and that was and that was again like the early '90s, right? Was this transformation of, of of everything into this sort of you know hyper sort of financialized casino model, right? And it was no different here. It's just what happened is we sort of instead of the U.S., which in 2008 had to like agree a complicated and highly political and contentious federal backstop for all their dog shit mortgages, we just built that in in 1993. <laughs> <laughs> so we we sort of we we sort of were like no we're just gonna have that and so it means that because what we what we looked at is basically created the housing market that the U.S. had up until 2006, but also have a permanent constant bailout all the time built into the system, which is great perma bailout yeah and so effectively right there was this there was this idea I mean it sort of started with Thatcher as well of like. Uh, that it, it, people need to have a kind of stake in their communities. And the only way to have a stake in your community, not by like living in it, if you own a rental house, you're just, you know, some kind of, you know, rootless drifter. You might come in, just do a little bit of work, take some money, and then leave. But if you own a home, then you're part of the community. And that was the, I, that was the story. And so what's happened, what, so there was this, there's this idea that we need to not just house people, but maximize private ownership of homes. And the way to do that was for the government to not provide housing, but rather for the government to basically make banks, uh, incentivize banks to give out mortgages to anyone who could fill in a form, effectively. <laughs> and again, I'm not against people taking money from banks. Take money from banks. Yeah. But in this case, it's um, banks making a great deal of money, uh, creating a lot of risk for everyone else. More or less, which I was pretty sure that doesn't seem like no, that doesn't seem like us, right? I thought we were prudent and had a stable, boring but functional financial system. High, heavily, Weird. heavily regulated. Yeah, was what's, what's going what's going on here with this? I heard that uh, Canada was communist. This is shocking to me. That's right. Um, and so, what this is kind of when you get housing purely as this financialized asset, this tradable gambling token, and. It, it, it only works if it con- because 
any good like Ponzi scheme only works if uh, it keeps growing in value and people keep putting money in. So it has to keep growing in value, which means we need to keep writing mortgages, but we can't take any risk with the mortgages. <laughs> so they just have to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, and Riley, a shape is emerging. Uh, I'm, yeah. see- I'm seeing a shape before my eyes. It's got three sides. Uh, <sighs> Parallelogram? Some kind of a trapezoid scheme? <laughs> Some kind of trapezoid. One, one fewer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, um, look, but basically, if you have, so you have this, um, you might say, irreconcilable problem, which is uh, you need your housing, the value of your housing stock to be constantly growing, right? But you also need everyone to own a home because that's the main way. That's the, or you're trying to maximize home ownership, but also trying to maximize housing value. But also, wages are flat and haven't been going up. Uh oh. That's where the and the only way to square that circle is complicated financial engineering. Which again, <laughs> I was confident that we weren't doing. I thought that Canadian bankers were just there to work I thought the only Canadian bankers were tellers. I didn't know there were any other guys. That's right. I didn't know there were financial engineers. Right. You hand over a stack of dollars and then you write that number with the minus sign uh, on a piece of paper and file it accordingly. That's that's Canadian banking. As a guy who does uh, let's say uh, work in financial engineering. I think you're right. To be all tellers. In 2001, right, this is when, um, you know, a lot of stuff happened in 2001. Uh, but in terms of the Canadian housing market, uh, guess what we started doing in 2001? Uh, something with mortgages? Oh, yes, very much so. We started securitizing them. That's uh, wh- safe, secure, right? Yeah, exactly. It's That's what Nanaimo was doing to that mall. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, they, yeah, they got so, we started secure- so what's the problem? <laughs> yeah, we, so we, yo, um, can I get a call option on that uh, teen burger, please? <laughs> uh, yeah, so basically, we started securitizing these mortgages, and but the mortgage they, that, were, that CMHC was was like helping securitize were insured, and so basically, it's like all it, it's basically has the same level of risk on paper as like a U.S. Treasury bill, which is zero because it's the insurance on the mortgage is connected to the Canadian money printing factory, right? Which means that it can't go bust. It's federally backstopped. There's nothing bad that can happen if you own that, if you own that uh, financial instrument. Uh, by the way, there are also half a trillion dollars uh, Canadian of securitized mortgages currently in circulation as of today. Uh, I read this on the uh, Canadian, um, the CMHC uh, 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 quarterly uh, statement of their securitization business. So this is current information. It's half a trill. That seems bad. That's a lot. It's a whole lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Half of $1 trillion. Or actually, sorry, $495 billion. I'm rounding up by $5 billion. Rounding by $5 billion is pretty acceptable, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, do it, I do it all the time. And, <laughs> look, I, I actually, I round by $5 billion, um, when I tell um, when I tell my girlfriend how many eggs I want in the morning. <laughs> Brother. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> It's a lot right. of eggs, buddy. You're <laughs> a hungry boy on here. Or, no wonder yeah, we're having absolutely. tummy issues. <laughs> yeah, you got to stop eating so many eggs, man. It's going to exacerbate your tummy issues. <laughs> so many tummy issues. Uh, so, <gasps> basically. <laughs> oh, the housing market gave me a tummy. Oh, <laughs> I'm at 6 p.m. again. Oh. <laughs> oh, half a trillion dollars oh, is too many. No oh, one will help. I, I thought of a I thought of a number too big, and now I have a stomachache. I hate my fucking house. 
<laughs> oh, I wish it were worth more. <laughs> um, so basically, right, housing prices continue their upward march for multiple decades because of this, because of the way that this system is structured. And so, um, it, yeah, universal basic uh, TARP. Uh, yeah, you can lend to anyone, no job, uh, no down payment in some cases because they lobbied for these looser rules, right, where they could do what's called a gift down payment, where uh, instead of having to come up with the looser requirement of 5% of a down payment for a federally insured mortgage, uh, you could come up with 0% of the down payment and the bank would give you the 5% down payment to give back to them. And mm. then that would be recouped uh, through higher interest rates in future that would kick in later. Mm. Huh. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting. Now, w- in order for all this to work, wages have to go up a lot. Uh, which basically. they did, right? Uh, did they? Don't. I, I mean, unless any of you have other information, uh, they did. Uh, they did not. <laughs> they have stayed very flat. Um, so, and a lot of this actually happens because uh, of the liberal government. This, this like gets kicked into overdrive in 2006 when the liberal government reforms the National Housing Act basically allowing AIG, that, uh, <laughs> that, that financial institution we all know and love, uh, the center of the U.S. Uh, financial crisis, um, allowed into, the, into our mortgage market uh, under the name Canada Guarantee. Uh, <laughs> yep. Uh, That's right. Cool. <laughs> so, and it was through their lobbying. Yankee go uh, home, that, am I right? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Through there, yeah, yeah. It's, it sucks that um, that AIG is now lending all of our mortgages. Everyone's watching American American Idol. No one's like borrowing from CIBC or watching Brent Butt. Yeah. No <laughs> one more financial can gas at some point. Yeah. Yeah. No one's on their. I thought, I thought that was going to be the main topic of conversation today. To yeah. be honest, with <laughs> no one's on their fifth rewatch of Bond Cup, Bad Cup too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think CJ is. He actually messaged me saying he liked it and was just afraid to say he liked it because he thought we'd be mean to him. CJ loves Bond Cop, Bad Cop. CJ loves the entire Bond Cop, Bad Cop series. He can't get enough of it. I didn't realize Comfy, it was Comfioris. a Yeah. Uh, Comfiora is his favorite actor. Part three um, coming yeah. soon. Yeah. Really? Hey, I'm so excited for part three. Yeah. 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 Oh, nice. Yeah, I'm man. coming back to Canada pretty soon. I'll, uh, the, the, story is, the story is not complete. No, we, we need to know what happens. Uh, and I, I barely remember the story. Uh, so anyway. Oh, uh, there was basically there were um, two cops. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, one that was, was Bond. The, that was main thing. One bad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, okay, in, in the sequel, yeah, in the sequel puts the Bond cop and the bad cop up against um, Hezbollah. Yeah, which is unusual. Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> yes. No, serious. Like, okay, t- like, all oh, yes, I'm actually. Yeah, you need to watch it. Like, there's a bit of a. You twist, need to watch but, Bond Cop, Bad yeah. Cop too. Yeah, I'm sorry I spoiled the twist for you. Um, if I just it's like you could watch it, or you could Probably just watch us watch it. Googling Bond Cop, Bad Cop Two plot, Hezbollah. <laughs> yeah, I'm well, so I'm the the right now, so. security descending on your house along with yeah. this like CSIS in the rear. You know. Yeah, I was I was pretty um, careful with my wording on what I would and wouldn't Google yes. here. Uh, yes, I how to join squad. Hezbollah from Canada? <laughs> Canadian what? living in America joining Hezbollah? Question mark. All right, so. Right. What happened? Right. So this the lobbying from the American American banks basically reduces all those standards even more. And I'm quoting from Alan Walks's paper, Canada's housing bubble story, mortgage securitization, the state and the global financial crisis. He says, with 100% of the risk related to uh, CMHC and CMB and mortgage bond insurance borne by the government, 
and ninety percent and the ninety percent guarantee given to private mortgage insurers, which by the way is what AIG got for themselves when they came into Canada, a ninety percent guarantee on all the private mortgage all the mortgages they insured privately as a competitor to CMHC. Mm-hmm. So we're not even we're we're guaranteeing everything. Um, Canada's mortgage market has been called the high taxpayer vulnerability model, where lenders write any loan they care to write, and then it just gets paid off by the taxpayer if it goes wrong. Nice. But uh, the bank keeps the house, though, so you don't get to keep the house if your mortgage if if your mortgage goes wrong. What happens is the bank gets the house, and also the val the remaining value of the mortgage is then covered by the government uh, through the uh, Bank of Canada. Uh, so it, heads I win, tails you lose. Um, and an, an Anton Sugar housing market, the second reference to in this episode, would have been more fair. <laughs> and the thing is, right? Like in 2008, like all of this shit collapsed. It collapsed just like it did in America. It's just there was no high-profile collapse because the CMHC was there as this like insurer of last resort. Where it would automatically apply the conditions of the U.S. bailout. Pre-bailout. It did the same thing. Yeah, it was a pre-bailout, and um, uh, it's in that same paper. Uh, Wax calculates 137 billion dollars worth of Canadian mortgage bonds uh, were uh, basically like paid off through the CMHC, and then uh, then that was a, a large part of the total of 510 billion that was injected into Canada's banking system in similarly covert ways up until 2009. We very much had a very large bailout, and no one talks about it. And the fact that it had no political ramifications means that housing has continued its endless upward march in price, even in like I don't know Burnaby. Yeah, even or, though wa- uh, even though wages are uh, are kind of a flat yeah. line. Yeah, because you can always borrow more, always, 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 and the and they and and the lenders will always write you a bigger mortgage. And so what it means is that we are in this kind of like generational, just generational beggar thy neighbor game, where it's like. Everyone sort of is willing to pay massively over the odds for like, I don't know, a bungalow in Lawrence Park uh, because they know that in 20 years, some other sucker will pay even further over the odds for it. And I know I know this is uh, sort of transnational, but I I think it really uh, it's really concentrated in Canada is that, you know, you now have this class of people like people my dad's age who bought a house in what is now a desirable part of the country for $40,000, $50,000. And, and these would be people who were benefiting from like Canada's sort of maximum era, maximal era of socialism. Right. Um, so a lot of support from the state. They buy houses cheap. These houses have now like skyrocketed in value. Their property is skyrocketed in value. So, um, you know, going back to Nanaimo, it, creates this bizarre reality breach where you have like a super entitled class who are like well i worked really hard <laughs> you know mm-hmm. why why shouldn't i be able to flip <laughs> the house that i paid fifty thousand dollars for for 1.5 million uh also why are all these homeless <laughs> people bothering me when i'm trying to go to the crystal shop <laughs> crystal shop <laughs> why indeed um so as, as sort of, the thing is, right, that all of this is sort of very quietly acknowledged in the heights of government. So um, the Minister of Finance at the time, Jim Flaherty, uh, basically said, look, um, uh, that not only did the, uh, uh, 
that this CMB uh, program allowed Canadian banks to issue more mortgages than they otherwise would have at a very low interest rate. But the insurance kept borrowing costs down for banks and enabled would-be buyers to bid more for houses, knowing they won't be penalized for having a small down payment. Uh, and that essentially, that, that arrangement was the Canadian secret weapon um, to keep housing prices high despite the crisis. And that's, this is what Jim Flaherty said, um, which is great, uh, which is fantastic. Anyway, by 2009, the Canadian uh, mortgage industry had come to completely resemble the U.S. mortgage industry before the crash. 30% of outstanding mortgages by 2009 were still securitized. Um, like, we learned nothing. We did nothing. Nothing changed. Like, at, not zero change. There was, there was no political awareness that a crisis and a bailout, a crisis had occurred and a bailout followed it. Nothing. Well, Just you, this story about us being like uniquely good. You can't assign blame if you don't, um, if you don't recognize that there's a crisis. Like, <laughs> what do you mean crisis? The housing prices are up, up. I already told you up. That's a good direction. Um, yeah, you want stuff Always. to go that way. Yeah, Mine goes that's where up. that's where that's where heaven is, idiot. <laughs> yeah, you want to go to the bad place. Oh, you want yeah. to have less you money? All right, jeez. <laughs> um, that's right. Ba- more like bailout, Zabub. Am hey. I right? I, I think uh, I think so- it is kind of just like a you know, if I'm gonna have the choice between more money and less money, I know which one I'm picking every time. Yeah. Well, that's bi- that's 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 business. Yeah. Business one on one. It's just supply and demand. <laughs> that's business one on one. Yeah. Supply demand more money less money. You got to know. I if supply. You're supplying or demanding. And they demand. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so basically, right after 2009, like the insane markets in Toronto and Vancouver started to like spread to different towns and cities across the country, and that's why like you're paying. <laughs> You're paying like like fifteen hundred dollars or whatever for a one bed in St. Catharines as a rental, because these. I mean, the rental story is a bit more complicated, but that's why even like like your the prices in areas that you know are sort of not super premium are super premiumized. Counterpoint: um, uh, Weekly Go Train service. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Well, it is so, like it's clean and convenient, and you know you can bring a bag. It's pretty good. It's the it's welcome to the Go Cast. So. The, the, the bit also, right, that's a bit worrying, is that the CMHC tightened its criteria for who qualifies for mortgage insurance in terms of like, because if you have more than 20% of your down payment, you don't need mortgage insurance. If you have less than 20% of the down payment, you do need mortgage insurance, usually. And they've tightened, and because of the overheating housing market, like it's recognized in the, in like the sort of upper echelons of, Canada, of like the economic governance of Canada that like, this CMHC creating a no-risk scenario for lenders to give bigger and bigger and bigger mortgages to everyone they can is probably playing us maybe playing a bit of a part in why no one can afford a house. And and uh, so what's happened though is that private insurers of mortgages have just stepped in, and uh, the default rate among private insured privately insured mortgages is just shy of two percent, whereas with uh, federally insured mortgages it's like 03 percent. So, uh, and the largest growing sector of this market is privately insured mortgages. <laughs> so, um, the, if, if we like stuff going up, uh, boy, do I have good news about what I think the uh, default rate is going to be in years to come. <laughs> but don't worry. A large, highly, a highly financialized, widely securitized mortgage market uh, with a, um, 
growing uh, sort of unregulated private sector uh, full of shadow banks offering uh, risky dog shit loans that uh, default all the time. That's not a problem. <laughs> what do you mean problem? You should probably right, like, Riley, sure say not a- that nothing that you say should actually technically be taken as investment advice, but... <laughs> oh, yes. No. That's it. <laughs> nothing I'm saying. Do, yes. Do not, do not invest on the basis of this, uh, but, but uh, nevertheless, it does seem worrying. This has been Investment Cast with <laughs> with Road Dog Ryland. Road Dog Ryland. Road Dog Ryland telling you where where the go stations are. Every damn. Yeah, that's right. Anyway, so uh, that's where we are. Uh, households are also more indebted since the start of the pandemic, growing by 3.5%. And uh, the new mortgages to highly indebted households who are less, like the mortgage is 450% or more of their income. Uh, is also the fastest growing segment of mortgages. Many are associated with these private lenders, so private mortgage insurers. You're saying the line is going up on household debt as well, too, which is good. Uh, well, look, you want all the lines to go up. That's where heaven is, I told you. <laughs> it could be with the angels. Um, yeah. And this is what I said earlier. Uh, the, uh, the, the Bank of Canada's uh, Tiff Macklem, so fucking just enjoy that a- name for a just minute. Just fucking Ontario ass name. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's an oaf name, a traditional yeah. oaf name. Yeah. Uh, Tiff Macklem said, uh, "I think right now the economy is weak, and um, high house prices give us support. We can at we need all the growth we can get." Hmm. So yeah, good. Uh, that's why the uh, liberal government is proposing a bunch of toothless measures that will do nothing about it. <laughs> <laughs> Such as, yeah, because they can't, because the whole system that they've got is predicated on, like, this beggar thy neighbor game, and they can't stop the beggar thy neighbor game from happening, because then the whole thing falls over. You can't have a Ponzi scheme that stops. It needs to keep going. That's the point of it. If only there was a historical precedent for expropriating, uh, like, land capital, you know, and um, nationalizing it in some fashion, penalizing, you know, uh, landholders. No, I'm... uh... I don't think there was one. Um, I don't think that's I, ever I, I, happened. All I, know, all I know about that is what Tony Soprano said, which is that you should buy land because God ain't making more of it. That's, that's, that's 100% of what I know about it. Yeah, oh, this is not... Uh, unless you live in Saudi Arabia and uh, yeah. you, you buy one of the islands they dredged out of the Persian Gulf. Also, in the Sopranos, they didn't say it wasn't investment advice before Tony said that, so it was investment advice. And if you lose money on land, uh, you can sue HBO. Don't go that's crying to the T, man. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. You, you're gonna, you can have to sue the estate of James Gandolfini. Um, anyway, so what they're planning to do with this is um, a 1% uh, tax on, uh, on um, foreign owners. Uh, so uh, basically, if you have a vacant house and you're a foreign owner, um, you will get a 1% tax. Which, if you're expecting your growth and your value of your asset to be... Uh, one or less than one percent a year would dissuade you from investing in it, but uh, what did you say the numbers I, I were think, of the, the last uh, since like two thousand? So it was like oh, one hundred sixty-seven percent. Okay, I can. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let me. That's not like twenty percent. So yeah, it seems like it's more than gonna, more than one percent. I mean, it's it's yeah, a little more complicated gonna, than that for sure, but. We're we're gonna have to run the numbers here. Uh, sorry, let me just go get just the bottle really of Bloomberg type terminal. <laughs> That's a smaller number. <laughs> yep, it's smaller, all right. 
anyway, so uh, you know there is the 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 liberal the liberal government sort of did. By the way, uh, of course, you know uh, our fearless finance minister um, <laughs> has uh, basically declined to comment on the uh, ongoing explosion of the uh, Canadian housing market. It's amazing, you know that she wouldn't comment. You know, you'd assume she'd be doing a great job as the finance minister, considering she did such a great job as our foreign affairs minister, you know, getting, um, getting, uh, becoming persona non grata in Russia, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, supporting the Lima group in our important endeavor to make Venezuela, uh, more business friendly to one of our big three mining companies, you yeah. know. Well, it's uh, I think she would probably support more uh, more house building in Canada if you could ha- dedicate the bricks to uh, people who lived in Europe in the 40s and uh, believed uh, not communism, believe the other one. To get a really low rate, you have to sign an agreement that for every every uh, beam you put up in uh, Markham, Ontario, you have to put up a similar you have to put up an equal beam in um, Dantensk. You know? <laughs> That's right. You have to, you have to dedicate, you have to, every house has to have like a cornerstone that's dedicated to like a Croatian Nazi. I'm really looking forward into, uh, to living in the Mihailo Chomiak, uh, uh, Roman Shukievich housing project outside of the, the arcology outside of Toronto. That's right. Um, <laughs> that, that, so that's, that, that's the basics of it. Right. And just to end us off, even if the housing market did crash, uh, which is like usually that's assumed to be like a thirty percent price reduction that happens like very quickly. Um, it still would take what like uh, twenty one or so years for the average uh, for someone earning a median wage in Toronto to save up enough money for a down payment on a house in Toronto. So uh, not even a crash in the value of housing will fix the problem at this point. Riley, it is you, beyond fucked. Riley, are you saying all the Toronto Life articles I've read about millennials uh, buying a tiny condo on uh, on a on a small wage uh, have been lying to me? Uh, I think maybe they may have been engaging in some um, truth distortion. <laughs> or that sounds uh, like they have been cherry picking their facts. Yeah, that's right. It's the anyway, economy. so that's that's. That's right. This is this is the bad economy. Uh, it's the one where all the lines went too far up, and now we can't catch them, and we're jumping to try to reach them, <laughs> and then our shirts are lifting up a little bit, and everyone can see our belly buttons. Oh man! <laughs> I'm 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 holding my shirt down. I'm reaching up, trying to touch the line. Like, Ooh! so what you're saying is it's time for Canada to suck in its gut a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I think it's time for Canada to suck in its gut to maybe start doing like to commit to doing a thousand crunches a day and then giving up after twenty. <laughs> I've been I've been tired of you know like the city life is wearing on me and I've been really thinking about unplugging and getting off the grid. So this is good news for me. Uh, it, when in five years, uh, rents in Montreal are seven thousand dollars a month, <laughs> and. Uh, and I can just go live under the Jacques Cartier bridge like a, like a cyber troll, you know? Yeah, that's right. Well, no one should really be living in houses. They're, that's where the money lives now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> houses, not for people anymore. Yeah, you can, you can, you have, we have many fine bridges. Uh, we have the, the Don Valley Parkway, the Gardener, all of those go stations. Like the, Canada's fantastic transport infrastructure is actually going to double uh, as our housing stock, and I think that shows a country that is uh, characterized by ingenuity and prudence. How That's I saved right. money uh, for a better tent by living on the go train. 
<laughs> what the story uh, doesn't tell you is that your dad owns the Go Train. That's right. Mm-hmm. Shh. Uh, the, the dad economy is unes- is inescapable. Anyway, uh, I think that's about that's about all we have time for today. So I want to say number one, Ryland, thank you very much uh, for coming and hanging out with us today. Thank you guys yeah, for having me. Right. I had a, a lot of fun. I'm, I'm really sorry that I probably ruined everything by not knowing anything, but it was a lot of fun. <laughs> no, I learned you're a lot. Cool. <laughs> I learned a lot about where ghost stations are. Uh, I can give you a full what, map. What's connected to Toronto? Yeah, no. Yeah. Easy. Oh, do, yeah. do you mind? Yeah, absolutely. Let me just. Okay, perfect. Yeah, I would. Okay, I would love to to take a look at that. Um, just uh, just tell me which which one is the biggest number. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna buy a house in the one that has the most numbers in it, and then then I'm gonna flip it, and that's economy. I need you to send me the one that has the most square footage and uh, available electrical outlets for when I eventually move in there. That would be Union, oh, um, I think, can probably. You send, so. can, can you send me one that allows pets? I bet all of them do. Yeah. Uh, okay. I hate to, I hate uh, to bring Hanks, this I'm back ha- up. Uh, I, I was looking at Bond Cup, Bad Cup stuff here uh, for a minute, mm-hmm, and yeah. it said that it was one of Canada's best uh, like box office successes because it earned $12 million in 2007. That's Canadian dollars. And it only yeah. cost uh, $8 million. No, sorry. No, I have it backwards. Sorry. The budget was $10 million and it, No, sorry. That's Bunk Up, Bad Cup, too. Anyway, it earned $4 million net. So, Yeah. yeah. And that is enough um, for a down payment on a ranch house in, uh, in Lawrence, in Lawrence and uh, uh, Young. So, that's you right. know. Yeah, that's that's where Comfy Or lives. Now. Yola, we call it in Toronto. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so yes, uh, Rylan, thank you for coming on today. Uh, it's been a pleasure to have you here, and to all of the people listening to the Bottleman, uh, thank you for listening to it. Don't forget, there is a Patreon. Second episode a week, seven Canadian dollars a month. Uh, because you know, uh, what are you gonna do? Save for a house? Yeah, exactly. Never <laughs> yeah. gonna happen, man. <laughs> yeah, we the economy the economy decided that uh you don't get housing uh unless you're uh, a financial institution or uh your dad uh owns uh sort of several businesses and you are an oaf. Uh, I'm afraid housing has to be reserved for our precious oafs. Uh everyone else gets Patreon subscriptions. That's right. <laughs> anyway, uh we will see you on the bonus in a few days. Uh and also, if you're out there in internet land, uh Ryland, where can people find you? Do you mean like physically or like online? We're trying Whichever. to direct people to your physical location. Oh, no. So that, not yeah, after this nothing episode. Nothing to do with you mentioning Hezbollah <laughs> earlier. <laughs> you can yes, find me is, on the internet. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, check out Ryland at Neon Wario. It's Neon yes. Wario on Twitter. Uh, spelled probably the way you That's right. Anyway. Uh, so, with all that being said, we will see you in a few days. Bye, everyone. Bye, folks. Bye.